Hello and welcome to Loving Your Garden Live with me, Rod Whiting, and our gardening guru, John Sterland. Hi, folks. Hello, John. Now, John has <laughs> magicked up a brilliant guest for us this evening. Let me introduce mm. renowned floral designer, Jonathan Mosley. <laughs> Good evening, Hello, everybody. Hi. Jonathan has been uh, inspiring and entertaining audiences with his passion for flowers for, well, more than a quarter of a century now. He doesn't mind me saying that. Uh, he, he's <laughs> he's a regular at all of the major <laughs> RHS shows, including Chelsea, Hampton Court, Tatton, Malvern. Etc., and creates designs for some of the UK's most prestigious events and location. His knowledge and skills are highly sought after by wholesalers and retailers and growers. And, and in 2020, he was awarded an honorary membership of the Institute of Professional Florists. I could go on, but Jonathan's a busy man. So, hello, Jonathan. <laughs> it's lovely to have you with us. Thank you, Rod, for all those accolades. Oh. I'll, I'll try and remember what I've done over the years. <laughs> Uh, tell me, Jonathan, what's the, my first question? And this is this is obviously not my question. This is John's question. But he said he's passed. He's done a rugby pass to me. What's the difference between a florist and a flower arranger? Yeah, it's, it's a, a question that often gets asked. That particularly when you're at shows and events. And over the years, same as, as, as you mentioned, I've, I've been in this industry now for uh, many, many years. When I first started, you're either one or the other. And generally, to sort of strip it down to its simplest terms, a florist is somebody who earns their professional living by arranging and doing creative things and selling flowers. A flower arranger is somebody who does creative things purely for pleasure, really purely as a hobby. But certainly during the last decade, things have really merged together. And lots of people now wear both hats. They're, they're florists, the floral designers, the flower arrangers, the growers of flowers. So it's a much more universal term now, I think, where people are just being creative with flowers. I'm fascinated to know, Jonathan, how you got into it. You're not going to tell us you're an ex-mechanic that suddenly decided to go over to uh, flower arranging, are you? <laughs> uh, I, I wish I could lie, uh, John, but certainly I'm, I'm one of those sort of sad people who this has always been something that fascinated me that I've loved doing from being a little boy picking flowers arranging flowers mm. going on country walks with grandparents to see first primroses first violets yeah. first bluebells picking a bunch bringing them back you know I was always that kid who wanted to like arrange things in a seashell or a, an old broken coffee pot and I just love that creative element and then my mum's friend had a flower shop basically when she retired she took early retirement she opened a dream flower shop I would go in as a little boy with my mom and sort of see her doing all these things in the shop. And that fascinated me. So I would then go and work in there uh, as a Saturday boy when I was old enough and just always been around flowers. So I think I've got sap running through my veins, not blood. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> so you're saying you go out into the countryside, you're always going out there and looking for things that, well, you've obviously tried them all, but, you know, oh, I yeah. try that in a, you know, wildflowers, all sorts of flowers. Definitely. Same as I'm one of those people who foraged before foraging became trendy. And (laughs) I think locally here where I live, you know, I'm known as the madman in the village who always has a bunch of twigs or some, you know, some weird seed heads or something that is carrying back from the dog walk. And I I love nature, you know, this time of year, uh, foraging things like catkins, pussy willow, just branches of beech buds starting to break. You know, I think nature's larders out there to be picked, to be inspired from and providing we're not decimating things it's such a lovely thing to go out and get things from nature and bring that creativity indoors i absolutely love it 
Yeah, so I think so long as you don't take too much. It's, Definitely. Um, and, of course, it's in a way, it's not all just flowers, is it? I mean, when I've, when I've watched Paula on people like that, they'll get a rose and cut the flower off and use the stem yeah, or, or a root. You can see a design in everything, can you? I think there used to be this thing, John um, and Rod, that they used to call the C&I. And I think that was sort of where you see potential in what other people would call as rubbish or debris or clippings. <laughs> but for us, you know, we can make a, a tree root look good, a bit of fungi, something that you forage that, you know, people were throwing out in the skip. We can turn it into something yeah. creative. So we always see potential in things. And usually, not always, but usually it pays <laughs> off. <laughs> now when i've watched you perform it's it is a performance as well it's lovely the audience are so important to you aren't they definitely you know i, I think i've got a degree of sort of showmanship theatricality in me that would only express itself through that medium of flowers yeah. but I think interacting with an audience is so important. And, and I've always had this passion over the years to, to make sort of arranging flowers accessible to everybody because it did used to be a little bit of a more sort of upper middle class. And it was seen as something you could only do if you got, certainly when I first started, you know, lots of antiques, like antique ewers and blackamoor figures and sort of big silver candlesticks. So my mission's always been to say to people, you know, you can arrange flowers in anything, anybody can do it. And when I'm at the shows, I always really want to get the audiences involved as much as possible and to, to make them feel part of it and to, to make them feel they want to get hands-on and, and go away enthused and, and itching to get out there, you know, get picking, get creative, buy a bunch, do something. That's quite interesting, actually. You, you mentioned containers and things like that. Is the container that you use as input, you know, as important as the flowers that you're putting in it? Because you use so many different things. Um, in fact, when you go to a show, you've got your little, uh, when you come to Beaver, for instance, you've yes. got your um, little place where you sell things. And they've got so many different um, containers and stuff like that. It's a good question, really, because sort of a container lends itself to a certain style of arrangement. Different times of year, different containers come in. It's like this one that I'm just arranging in now, this this sort yes. of vin vintage posy container. And you can pick these up from charity shops and car boot sales. And this is something from sort of the 1920s. And it's it's pottery, it's ceramic. But this is absolutely perfect for arranging things like helibores in. Oh, and yeah just such beautiful flowers and i'm sure john that lots of listeners uh, who are joining us tonight they probably grow hellebores in the garden and one big question that i get asked loads is oh i pick hellebores i bring them indoors and you know within a, a couple of hours they've all started to flop and go over and deteriorate they just don't last as a cut flower but arranging them short like this in this type of container mm. or floating them in a bowl is a yes. perfect way to do it but a really good tip that I'm going to share with everybody uh, this evening is if you want your hellebores to last, then the, the only way that you can make them last is by scoring the stem. And what I do with them, if you pick them, pick them outside some, you know, in the coolest part of the day, and then with a fine florist knife, just score down one side right. of the stem, turn the stem over and then score down the other side of the stem, just doing it very finely so you're not sort of lacerating it, like stripping it like spring onions, and then put them in deep water and leave them in deep water for about six hours. And when you do that, you'll find they will hold up really, really well and they'll last really well. So it's it's a really good tip for hellebores. So they're taking the water in where you've actually scored 
They are, the yeah, because yeah. that stem is so fleshy. And we've got to think with all these winter flowers, you know, they're growing in that unclement environment outside when it's really bad weather and they used to extremes in temperature. Since we had a really keen frost here in Derbyshire this morning, everything was thoroughly white over. So I picked these yesterday, but you know, I could still pick them even when they've had the frost on once they've recovered and they've started to perk back up. But that shock of bringing them indoors when it's so hot that they're like us, you know, when we, when we get off that plane on tropical climates, having (laughs) leaving the chilly UK, you know, we flop, don't we, with that instant fix of heat. And it's often the same for many of our winter flowers. Quick question from Frank Slater, who's, uh, who's watching. He says, um, good to hear you're a recycler, Jonathan. Do you also uh, forage to eat? Uh, I, sort of forage it a little bit to eat not sort of obsessively uh my granddad always sort of showed me things like wild mushrooms and blue stalks and all those sort of things so yeah great forager for those things any sort of hazelnuts anything like that nettles Mm. to make nettle beer with so yeah i'm not a sort of expert forager on food but i do like a good old forage i've always got a bag in my back pocket when i'm out (laughs) dog walking (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh wonderful uh, now while you while you're doing that you've obviously had a lot of commissions in your time and one of my favorites of yours was the uh, orchid pavilion at chatsworth i yes just, i was swept away with that and anybody oh, who you. went to chatsworth w- must have been have you got any fav- your favourites that you've uh, done? I mean, the bridge as well. The floral bridge at Chatsworth was that was another year, wasn't it? Or was it, it was. the same year? Yeah, yeah, yeah Sims, that was the, the, the inaugural Chatsworth, the inaugural yes. RHS Chatsworth flower yes. show. And that was the first one where I did the big bridge there. My favourite really is whatever I'm working on at, at that moment yeah. in time. I'm, I'm a bit fickle, really. Uh, I very much enjoyed doing the orchid things. And uh, I noticed you've got a gorgeous phalaenopsis in the uh, in the background there, John, oh, which yeah. is looking yeah. really <laughs> lovely. And uh, I was um, on Love Your Weekend with Alan Titchmarsh a few weeks ago, and I was talking all about British orchids, then British phalaenopsis from Love Orchids. And just in this room where I'm arranging now, I've got about six orchids in here. So they are one of my favourites. But I, I think probably my very f- sort of favourite of all favourite things that I did, which is quite a long time ago now, which was my first really big floral installation. And that was the first ever tulip festival that I designed at Chatsworth House. And I've been lucky enough to design 10 flower festivals at Chatsworth. And the tulip festival w- was in May. And literally every room in Chatsworth was adorned with with tulips. Uh, really? Most of them grown in Ch- on Ch- Chatsworth's gardens in their cutting garden specifically for the event and springtime you know it's such a beautiful time and sort of to to execute that it was like a military exercise and that's the first time I'd ever done anything of that magnitude Um, I'm talking you know 20 20 odd years ago but it was certainly you know just such a lovely thing so (laughs) that's one that's sort of ingrained in the memory Yeah, yeah now that's that's interesting actually because I mean when when we've ever had a bunch of tulips you know you put them in the water and then say three or four of them start to go down. You know, yes. they just start drooping. Is that air that's got into the stem or give us some tips on how to yeah. keep your tulips as, straight up? <laughs> yeah, same as uh, tulips are a whole sort of issue in the cells and we could we could sort of talk and, and bore listeners for hours, I'm sure, oh, talking about tulips. But I what we must remember with tulips is the phototropic. So tulips will always grow towards a light source. So uh-huh, wherever that yeah. main primary light source is, that stem will continue growing. 
most commercial tulips and here in the UK we, we grow millions of tulips over 50 million tulips in a year commercially uh, as cut flowers and they're normally cut at around 30 centimeters in length from that point of being cut to maturity which can take up to two weeks in, in a, a house when they're arranged they can grow by another 40 centimeters so a 30 centimeter can become a 70 centimeter oh, so right, naturally yeah. they'll move and grow about Traditionally, people used to say stick a pin through the neck and that would help keep them straight. And that's to avoid that airlock forming. But my top tip, if you want to keep your tulips as poker straight as is possible, when you get them, always wrap them in tight newspaper or brown paper and sellotape it around. So they're really wrapped like a sausage in that paper. And then put them in a bucket of deep water overnight, right up to the neck of the flower. Leave them in there. And then the damp newspaper strengthens all the stem. And it does really does work that it does help keep them a lot straighter. Oh, that's wonderful. Now you put a wonderful pr- photograph of um, Daphne. Oh yes, week, Daphne Odorata. Yeah, Jacqueline one of my favourites. Jacqueline Postel, yes. Yes, I know. And I I did mention that I'd rescued one and I haven't yes. had any flowers on it this year. So I'm determined that um, it's looking fabulous. So I'm hoping that next year it's going to be wonderful because You'll the daphnes to me are some of the fantastic oh, the fragrance fragrant you know it, it's interesting you saying that john because i've just added some narcissi into here and, I, and the the smell the fragrance from these narcissi is just absolutely gorgeous and something like this where you've got hellebores we've got some victorian primulas in here uh we've got snowdrops you know you could just rustle that together put it on your table makes a really quick and easy table arrangement and i've not robbed the garden with that you know i've just sort of placed a few flowers because i know there'll be lots of listeners out there thinking i like to see them growing i don't want to pick them i don't want to bring them indoors they last so much longer in the garden but let's be honest certainly this time of year we don't actually go out and sit in the garden very much so you don't always have a chance to see the beauty of these flowers and place that on a table when you start having in supper of an evening or breakfast table, you know, you're going to love looking into those flowers and an arrangement like that. I'll easily get seven to 10 days out of it. And my top tip, if anybody else wants another tip is miss them, you know, use a little sprayer, keep spraying that. It'll keep it lovely and fresh and you'll get loads of joy from it. Oh, fabulous. What a great idea. I, you know, that's made me, Oh yes, I, I feel like I want to do it now. With uh, you inspired, <laughs> Ron, that's good to hear. <laughs> yeah, as, as Jonathan said, just rustle something up, <laughs> Rod. But you know yeah. what, Rod and John, it's really hard to make beautiful flowers look rubbish, isn't it? You know, it's like in a garden. You've got gorgeous yeah. things flowering. You've got trees. You've got shrubs. They're going to look divine, whatever you do with them. So you know, don't get too perplexed about whether it looks right or whether it looks wrong. If you're happy with it, that's all that matters. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, sometimes when I've done a when I've done a border, I've found yellow very difficult to mix with other colours. Yes, and um, mm. and do you ever, you know, have, have you ever have you have ever had any trouble, you know, mixing certain yeah. colours? Nature does it wonderfully. Does I know, it I know, infinitely it well. Yes. I agree. Um, I've got a friend who won't have yellow in a garden. You know, she's really anti-yellow. And I, I know it's one of those colours that a lot of people shy away from. Yeah. I'm a I'm a bit of a um, sort of eclectic person in the garden. I like all colours and I, I grow all colours. So there's nothing that I don't grow. Sometimes things clash together and you think, well, I'm going to move you or, you know, I don't really want you sat next to that plant. But certainly from, from my world of flowers, then sort of colour is the biggest thing that I deal with. And I think, 
naturally, you know, as a florist, we develop a very sort of um, trained eye for colour. And certainly when, when I'm teaching in my flower school, you know, colour is something that you can instantly see when people have got a deep understanding of colour as an instinctive thing. Other people yes. have to learn that technique a little bit. But it's horses for courses, isn't it? You know, some people like the hot colours, some people like the cold colours. And it depends on the time of year, don't you think? I always think like Chelsea, you know, it's all about blues and purples. This time of year, we've got sort of the, the more muted, more delicate shades. Into April, we've got those golds, we've got the oranges. You know, so it's nice to have all those different colours together. I think that's one of the most exciting things about the year in the garden is is looking forward to the, the next. The changeability. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I yeah. went to a college where they grew AYR chrysanthemums the year round you know the year round yes. wonderful to be for you to be able to get them but yes um, got on your nerves a little <laughs> yeah and i think that is why some flowers you know and certainly things like chrysanthemums and carnations often you know when i used to have flower shops in another world you know people would say oh you know i want to send some flowers don't put any carnations in don't put any chrysanthemums in she can't stand them or that person can't stand them and i think it's the fact that they're always there people just take them for granted you know, I always yes. say they're like the, the bread, milk and eggs, aren't they, of our larder? You know, they're there permanently. Yes. And they don't yeah. particularly excite us, but they're often necessary. But that is why I think people are changing. And one thing that people are becoming really much more um, aware of and certainly more discerning about, and that is British flowers. You know, and I think the fact people want to buy seasonality, they want locality, mm. and also that provenance <laughs> behind where the flowers come from. You know, certainly for, for many people now, they, they're really concerned that if those flowers have been grown with um, sort of added toxins or uh, chemicals added to it, they don't like the fact they've generated unnecessary air miles by being flown into the country. So buying locally, buying seasonally, keeping it sustainable is something that's really big on people's agendas now. I'm, I must admit, uh, Jonathan, I've been to, um, you probably have, been to Alsmere and seen the the um, auctions and things like that. Yes. Plants are flown in from Colombia and all, all, all sorts over, of places absolutely. straight over. And I've noticed on the fens is a lot more growers now actually growing flowers. And, of course, a friend of ours, Paula Routledge, Paula's yes. just putting 10 acres of land yeah. down to yeah, um, they, herbaceous so perennials and things. There's so many people doing that now. And certainly like one of the biggest movements was the flowers from the farm movement that yes, probably originated yeah. um, around 15 years ago now. And it made sort of flower growing a much more um, conscious thing where people didn't just think, oh, you know, it has to be done on a commercial basis. There's a lot more artisan and smaller growers growing things. Yeah. Uh, for, for, for their own use and to sell some we often see now don't we buckets of flowers for sale outside people's houses and i remember that as a kid you know and it's great that that's coming back and i think we have to accept for, for me you know if i'm doing a massive installation then i need big quantities yes. so i need people who grow on an industrial scale but sometimes mm. i'm doing more smaller things you know I want to buy locally. I want to buy from some of our local growers out here in Yorkshire and in Derbyshire and certainly over in Lincolnshire. So it's good to support those markets. But one thing that I must just mention, because I do love Holland <laughs> and uh, I think that the Dutch, you know, do do it so well. And this year's the Floriada in Holland, mm. which, you know, if anybody wants an opportunity to go and see something that's magnificent, miss this one, you've got to wait 10 years for the next one. And it is fascinating to see how the Dutch put things together and how they grow and flowers are endemic within their culture you know it's such a part of their yeah. their history and 
I think we learn so much from 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 our our neighbours over there in the Low Countries and. You know, for me, as a florist, Holland is still the mecca for flowers. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's their industry, isn't it? And when it you is. think of Kokenhof and this, what, the 24 million bulbs are planted each Amazing. year, taken Amazing. up at the end, and then our oh, Kokenhof's just a fantastic in that lovely woodland. And we've oh, nothing comparable, John, have we? You know, we talk about no. our gardens, and, you know, I'm lucky enough to work and have um, designed with the RHS all their, their gardens from Wisley to, to Bridgewater, the new one. And yes. they are wonderful, and, you know, we learn so much. There's so much take-home for us to recreate in our gardens, but it's nothing like that showmanship spectacular that the Kuchenhof has got. And yeah, you've got yeah. to see it. Yeah. But we were talking about Daphne, weren't we? And this yes. is one of my other favourite fragrant plants, which uh, I'm sure many uh, listeners are, have possibly got this growing in their garden. And this is the winter honeysuttle, which is yeah. Lanistra fragrantissima. And as I'm, I'm arranging this now, it's, oh, the scent is just oozing out of here. And this, believe it or not, has been flowering intermittently since October. Mm. And yeah. it's one of those things, it's a bit like many of our winter flowering shrubs like viburnums and uh, the saracocas and all those things. You know, on a warmer day, it opens out some more buds and it's so beautiful. But, you know, just pick a stem of this and pop it yeah. in a bud vase. If you're working from home or, you know, you, you've got you know, your favourite place where you like to sit, have it on a side table next year and you'll get this wonderful yeah. scent. It's beautiful. It's one of my favourite winter plants. That's one of the w wonderful things about a lot of the winter plants is they're not blousy at all, are they? But no. so many of them are fragrant. Absolutely. I mean, fragrantissima, it's in the name. It says it, doesn't it? It certainly yeah. does. And they're often sort of unsung heroes, aren't they, John, of the garden? Yes. Because, you know, a lot of people tend to think, right, you know, October, I've planted my bulbs, I'll shut the garden away yes. now for wintertime yeah. and we'll revisit it in spring. But there's so much beauty over the winter months. And another favourite of mine, which often people mistake for, I know, our experts will recognise it straight away, but a lot of people think it's one of the witch hazels, the hamamelis, but this is a cornus, and this is cornus mass, which has yeah. these little bobbles of sulfuric yellow flower, star-shaped, mm. all along the stem. And this is a plant that's fully out in the garden at the moment. There's been some early bees buzzing around it the last couple of days while the sun's been out. And this is a great thing to grow because... It really looks lovely and pick a few stems of this and arrange it as I'm going to in a moment with some daffodils. And it's like an early Forsythia. Yes. And what is fantastic about it is it produces blackberries, which look great during the autumn time, and wonderful autumn colour. You know, it's as glorious as any maples or azaleas or any of those traditional autumn coloured plants. So it's a real favourite of mine, the Cornus Mass. Oh, yes, it's fabulous. I've just had a, a viburnum, my first season of a viburnum bodden tents, and uh, I've been yes. absolutely blown away by how good the uh, the fragrance is from oh, that. You know, you spectacular, can, from isn't the it? Bottom of the path, I can smell it as I'm walking up. It's great. Yeah, I love that fact. Sometimes you know you're walking along a you know a, a lane somewhere or, or a footpath, and you get this breeze of scent, don't you? And it can be, yeah. you know, you think, where's that coming from? And it is something yeah. like a viburnum or a mahonia, you know, any of those things, and. 
you know, scented flowers are a treat, aren't they? You know, even the dimble daffodil, it's got its own own unique smell. And I think if we close our eyes and smell a flower, it immediately transports us somewhere. Yeah. It, they're very nostalgic things, aren't they? And yeah, yeah that's it's like music so, in that sense. Absolutely, Rod. And that's yeah. why there's so much use for dementia sufferers, you know, for, for working yeah. with dementia patients, yeah. because they open up a dialogue and they strike a memory. Is it true that Oasis has gone? You know, the, the, these blocks of things that you used to stick your flowers in? A question that's sort of a bit of a hot potato, hot potato and has been now for a couple of years. And because um, Floral Foam, which we commonly call Oasis, because it, it, yeah. Oasis is sort of the main company who produces it, but most floral foams are a one-use plastic, so they don't biodegrade. They go into landfill. So as we're all trying to sort of avoid adding things into landfill, it means that they're a little bit of a faux pas. So certainly for, for many of our, our big shows and um, the RHS, for example, they've banned Oasis being used at any of their flower shows. And it's not just florists who use it. You know, often the people who do those amazing displays of lilies and gladiolis and sweet mm. peas, you know, the specialist societies and the professional growers, they rely on floral foam to anchor all those stems together. So everybody's having to think differently and, and use different things. Smithers Oasis are looking at bringing out other products which are more environmentally friendly, more biodegradable. There are other foams out there, which some of them are made from basalts, one basalt, which does biodegrade down. Yes. So there are other things coming through. <laughs> but I, I do have to say, you know, for florists, it is a challenge. And, you know, for somebody like me who does big events and things, then that's another world. But you think of your average high street florist, you know, most of their work is... Uh, gift flowers and gift bouquets yes. and arrangements but also things that need to be portable and yes. they, they're done in a time frame so that's why a medium light floral foam is so important to them so you know i don't like to be too damning about it but i i think as possibly you know people will agree it's everything in moderation so yes. if everybody uses it a little bit less and only uses it when you've got to, then we are sort of reducing things that's going into landfill. And here for this arrangement that, that I'm just sort of playing around with while I'm, I'm chatting with you, I, I'm doing this in chicken wire. Yeah. A little bit of scrunched up chicken wire, which is a fantastic medium for holding all these flowers together. And this is sort of just un unashamedly traditional. And all I wanted to do with this one really is just illustrate to, to, to listeners who are perhaps thinking, you know, I don't know what I'd do with a couple of bunches of daffodils is. And that's all this is. It's two bunches of Lincolnshire grown daffodils that I just picked up from a, a supermarket for, you know, a few pounds. And all I've done here is I've just sort of placed those in amongst garden foliage. And we've got this sort of structure that the branches, that the, the yeah. willow and the lanicera <laughs> and corns has given it a little background of foliage. There's some tree ivy, grizzolinia, camellia, can be whatever anybody's got. And it's in a charity shop container, this sort of white yeah. vintage style <laughs> container there. And it's just so easy to make something like that. You know, it just oh, takes yeah. a few it's easy minutes. When you've done it for 25 years and reached uh, your standard of. Uh, work yeah well thank That's you amazing but, uh -huh. but it, it is you know it, it's it's so easy to do but you know people come to shows come and listen to folks like me mm -hmm. talking at the shows and you know it, you'll just pick up tips and and just, yes. just have a bash that's what i always say what's the worst that can happen yes exactly it's uh well they're fantastic they are they're oh, wonderful well I, I told you rod didn't i probably do something while he's talking and well, i can't he can, i'm blown he, away by yeah, that yeah. <laughs> that's, that's amazing <laughs> multitask 
Jonathan well, can multitask. Well, I'm trying to do it for the male of the species. And today's International Women's Day, isn't it? And, you know, we yeah. all sort of pay homage to the amazing creative women that we've all got in our lives and yeah. uh, we're surrounded by it. I'm certainly a man in a woman's world in the world of floristry. <laughs> but I'm doing it for the male of the species to try and prove that we can multitask when we've got to. Yeah. <laughs> Only oh, when we've wonderful. got to, though. <laughs> <laughs> Only when we've got to. I'm no good at it. But, uh, oh, that Jonathan, fantastic. It really is. If you've got a passion for anything, uh, you know, I'm, I'm lucky. I, I've been blessed with a passion for growing and arranging flowers. And my career over the past 30 years has given me wonderful opportunities. And all I say to other people is, you know, follow your passion, whatever your passion mm. might be, follow mm. it. And and it's never too late to reignite a new passion. Yeah. And, you know, if you've never arranged flowers, then have a go. We, we, we talk so much, don't we, about mindfulness and being in the moment and sort of enjoying just sort of that simple pleasure. And you're not thinking about anything else and picking a few flowers, arranging a few flowers. It really does calm you down. It's good for stress level. It's an immediate fix of doing something creative in a matter of, you know, a few minutes. And you look at them, you enjoy them and it soothes your nerves. Better than oh, the gin yeah. any day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, It'd be nice to do a yellow and blue in support of Ukraine. I bet there'd be a fair few of those displays around, Jonathan. Definitely, uh, blue, definitely. Same as, uh, you know, shortly we'll be getting our wonderful blue hyacinths and blue irises coming out. So, you know, you could mix those in with the daffodils. And, uh, yeah. you know, I'm sure we're all feeling rather sort of guilty sometimes just doing such trivial things as arranging flowers when you know the world seems to be falling around yes. all around us. But, you know, I'm sure, you know, People remember that nature always continues, beauty continues, doesn't it? And even in times of chaos, you know, perhaps for somebody whose life is turned into absolute torment, just focusing on a flower for a moment just might give them that little yeah. bit of solace. And, you know, I'm sure we're all sending our hearts out to our our fellow humans out there. Well, look, Jonathan, uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Fabulous. Absolutely it's a pleasure. Amazing. So nice to be able to that join you. That half hour has absolutely flown by, which is a, a good sign. That's and, good uh, to hear. Rod. Look forward to uh, being with you at Beaver again. In see you at Beaver, and if I can yeah, just do a plug July. for our our first flower show, which is Harrogate Spring Flower Show, oh, which yeah. is in April time. And uh, if people, you know, do support our independent flower shows. You know, the RHS do amazing flower shows, but do remember independents like Harrogate Flower Show and Beaver, and you know some of the other ones out there. You know, go along and see those as well. Great to see you, Jonathan. Thanks for asking best. me, Rod and John. It's been really nice joining okay, you guys. Okay, lovely. All the best. Bye. Bye. Take care. Okay. And there he goes. Uh, <laughs> what an outstanding. That was outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. And uh, you can tell he's done a few of those. <laughs> <laughs> yes, can't you? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, lovely. Anything for jobs? Anything else we want to say, John? Um, keep an eye on these frosts. Jonathan was mentioning then. We had a lightish frost last night i'm a bit nearer the coast but in in the midlands where jonathan lives they had a real good frost so don't you know you go into a garden center and you think you there's all these seedlings and everything like that just be careful you know it's still early it's march but it's still early so yeah. Just be careful. A fierce you know, frost. What you're uh, getting. Uh, yes. We had a fierce frost wood in my um, neck of the woods yesterday, last night. Yeah. Yeah. So very white out this morning. Yeah. We'll okay. be back with some jobs next week. We will. And <laughs> uh, again, thanks to John's efforts, we've got uh, the wonderful Nick Hamilton as a guest in a couple of weeks' time. I'm a sort of member out down at Barnsdale now. So um, next time I'm down there, I'll. I'll fix that 
fix that up. So we're hopefully before the end of the month, we'll get Nick. Yeah, lovely. The wonderful Nick Hamilton. Right. Uh, that's it, I think, John. Lovely. Okay, Thank- then, Rod. Yeah, that was fab. I thoroughly enjoyed that. I'll go and have my sausage casserole now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, All right. Thanks. Thanks very much, John. Thanks, everybody. Okay, Have a great then. week. All the best. Bye.